0: Jesus, we know that you will never forsake us. We know that you are alive and that you came to fix our broken lives. So Jesus, by the power of your word, would you transform us, refine us to be the people you died to make us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, a married couple I know was on a road trip together once and they were listening to an audio book on the C D player in their car. The problem was the book made no sense to them. It was like the author had no narrative plan. It jumped from scene to scene, the plot didn't seem connected, characters would suddenly emerge that they'd never heard of before. I mean, and it wasn't even some kind of arty avant-garde book. You know, I mean it wasn't French or anything like that just kind of a normal, kind of a Tom Clancy novel, something like that. Finally, they noticed something. Their CD player was set to shuffle, so it was going to different chapters (laughs) randomly. You ever feel like your life is like that? That you, as the author of your life, have a wonderful plan and then someone pushes shuffle and all your plans get jumbled up and they don't make any sense anymore. There's a sudden health problem or a financial setback or you don't get married when you wanted to or your kids start doing stuff that you didn't plan on and your plans get all messed up. Well, the passage we read today talks about what happens when our plans get messed up. And if you have hung around Christian subculture for very long, you've probably heard one of those verses before. The one where God says, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper and not to harm you, Plans to bring you a future and a hope. And people just love that verse, right? They calligraphy it. They put it on their wall. They choose it as a life verse. And we think, oh, how nice. God knows the plans he has for us, right? Not that we much care because we have our own ideas for our life, right? For we know the plans that we have for us. But it's nice to think that God also has a plan, right? But if you look at the context of this verse, it is not as sunshiny as... Christian subculture kind of makes it sound. The context of this, there's never read a text without reading the context, and the context kind of changes a little bit. So let me give you some background. As you know, we're doing a lot of different sermon series this year chronologically through the Bible. So let me give you a one-minute plot summary of the Bible so far, okay? We started out talking about Abraham and how his descendants ended up as slaves in Egypt, until Moses and Joshua led them to the Promised Land, where they lived under local leaders called judges until they got some kings like David and Solomon. Then the nation divided into the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom in a massive civil war, and kings come and go in both kingdoms for centuries. And most of these kings are a disaster. They don't obey God, they make a mess of things. Well, at the same time the kings are making a mess of things, God sends people called prophets to tell the people to go back to God. But the people don't listen. They ignore the needs of the poor. They're violent. They worship idols, part of which is burning their children alive as sacrifices to these false gods. And for 500 years, God sends prophets to warn them to go back to God. 500 years, that's a lot of warning. God is way more patient than I am with my kids, that's for sure. And finally God said, okay, if the only way to get your attention is if something drastic happens, so be it. So in 722 B.C., (laughs) Syrians wipe out the northern kingdom in Israel. For a while, Judah, the southern kingdom, kind of gets its act together. They say, whoa, that was scary, that was bad, let's behave. But they only do it for a little while. So in 586 B.C., God allows the Babylonians to conquer the southern kingdom. And then the Jews are taken all the way back to Babylon where they're held in captivity for 70 years. It's called the exile. Not what they had planned. Not their plans. And it's in that context that that verse we read takes on its full meaning. Because God says, here in exile, I still know the plans I have for you. They're just not your plans. But I'm still going to use them to prosper you and not to harm you and bring you a future and a hope. Because here's what God does in that exile that they didn't want. He refines their character to become the people that he knew they always could become. After 500 years of disobedience, he uses the exile to refine their character. Back in the Bible, the way that a silversmith would refine silver, some of you know this, is he'd heat the silver up until the impurities rose to the surface and skim off the impurities until it was pure. And that's what the exile does for the Israelites. It refines them. After 70 years, they go back to Israel. But this time, when they go back, after 70 years, they never again worship false gods. Never again. It's also in the exile that they compile the Old Testament. Much of it had been written, but it hadn't been brought together. It's also in the exile that God raises up some of their greatest leaders, like Daniel, who got thrown into the lion's den for praying, but God delivered him. And every Sunday school kid since has studied Daniel, right? keeping the felt board industry in business for years. (laughs) Thank God for Daniel. The exile refines Israel and makes them better. Now that raises a question, doesn't it? Does God send hard things our way to refine us? Does God send hard things our way to refine us? Let me answer that briefly and then I'll get back to the main message which is what happens when our plans go awry. And this is going to be a little theologically subtle. Pastors aren't supposed to do that, but you are a smart congregation, so you're going to hang with me in amazingly profound ways. God refines us in a lot of ways, not just through hard times. You know, the idea that God makes us miserable so that we can learn something, that's just a remnant of Puritanism, and if you don't know what Puritanism is, it's the nagging suspicion that someone somewhere is having fun, and it's got to be stopped. <laughs> but that is not God. God refines us lots of ways through the positive influence of others, through blessings that make us closer to him. When we're engaged in destructive behavior, God speaks to our conscience. Or sometimes he lets us reap the natural consequences of our bad behavior. Someone commits adultery, they'll have painful relationships with their family and their children and their neighbors. That's not God, that's just a natural consequence. But when all else fails from time to time, Because he loves us and wants us to thrive and not continue to hurt ourselves, as a last resort, God will sometimes bring something hard into our life to refine us because he loves us. Not because he's punishing us. Because he loves us. Punishment was taken care of on the cross through Jesus. But because he loves us, he will allow hard things occasionally into our lives to refine us. But, but... Only after he has repeatedly warned us. Through the prophets, God warned Israel for 500 years. And he warned them very specifically. He didn't just say, cut this out or something bad will happen in general. He was very specific. He said, cut this out or the Babylonians will come. It was very specific. So don't hear what I'm not saying. Please don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if you have a health problem or a financial problem, I am not saying God caused it. I am not saying that. He would have warned you very specifically, stop doing X behavior or this specific thing will happen. It would have been very specific and you couldn't have missed it. He was very clear with Israel. And it's pretty rare for God to do that because he usually doesn't have to. Because usually he can just let us reap the consequences of our own destructive behavior. Yes, God allows the Babylonians to conquer Israel. It's also just the natural consequence of their corruption that had so eroded their culture they could no longer defend themselves. A few weeks ago, ago, my kids were doing these somersaults over our couch in all kinds of chaotic ways, right? Not taking turns, right? Somersaults. And I said, if you don't do this kind of one at a time, you're going to hurt yourself. They didn't listen. Pretty soon, one of them bashed their head and they were crying. Not hurt badly, but, you know, hurt themselves. Now... In that moment, I didn't have to say, I told you so, or next time you'll listen to me, or that'll learn you. I didn't have to say any of that, but I did. (laughs) But God's a better father than I am. He doesn't say, I told you so, and he doesn't usually send us hard things to refine us. They're either the natural result of our behavior, or more often, more often, they're just the random result of living in a broken and fallen world. In theological subtlety. Back to the point. For whatever reasons, when our plan go, plans go awry, when bad things happen, for whatever reasons, here's the truth. He is always with us, and he uses those things to refine us. And he wants to refine us because he loves us that much. There's a man named Eric Weinheimer who was born blind, but has done amazing things, like climb some of the highest mountains in the world and Eric tells a story about being in first grade and coming home and bragging to his mom that he got a perfect score on his spelling quiz and at first she was really excited but then but then she got quiet because she noticed that there was nothing on his quiz but crayon scribbles and the teacher had put a smiley face on and said it was perfect so the next day Eric's mom took him to school and went up to the teacher and said you know a bunch of crayon squiggles doesn't deserve a perfect score and a smiley face he's blind not stupid He can learn how to spell. And so the teacher said, well, I was just trying to boost his self-esteem. And the mom said, he doesn't need self-esteem, he needs to know how to spell. (laughs) So that night she read off the words and made Eric spell them out correctly. Eric said this in his words, each stroke of the pen gave me a sense of security and comfort. I knew my mother loved me no matter how I performed, but I knew she loved me enough to help me grow, and that's what gave me self-esteem. Was Eric's mom loving? Absolutely. Yes, we need to build our kids' self-esteem. But his mom loved him enough to correct him so that he could become everything he was designed to be. God does the same thing. He refines us through good things, right? Through other people, through blessings. And sometimes he refines us when our plans go awry because he loves us. And here's the shocking thing the Israelites discover in their exile. That even when it's not their plan, here's what they discover. That God's plans are good even when they aren't ours. Can you believe that? Can you believe that's even possible? You see, God is not out to make us miserable like some kind of moody tyrant. Someone sent me a story last week, which may be apocryphal, but about a woman who wrote to an internet advice columnist and said that her husband accused her of being moody, so he bought her a mood ring which if you don't know what that is, it's a ring that turns color supposedly based on your mood, used to be real popular. The woman was so annoyed by that, this is what she wrote. She said, we've discovered that it works. When I'm in a good mood, the ring turns green. When I'm in a bad mood, it leaves a red mark on his forehead. Maybe next time you'll buy me a diamond. That is not God. God is not out to thump us on the forehead. When our plans go awry, Here's what he does. He uses them to refine us in a couple of ways. Let me mention them. First, when our when things don't go as planned, we see God's power. All throughout the 500-year period of the king kings, m- miracles in Israel were very rare. You know, Elijah does a few, but that's about it. We think miracles are happening right and left in the Bible. Not so. Sometimes centuries go by without any miracles. But during the exile in Babylon, there are miracles all over the place. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have really cool names, right? Just don't get burned in the fiery furnace. Hand comes out of the uh, sky and writes on the wall. I mean, miracles everywhere. It's in the exile. It's when our plans don't go the way we want that we see God's power. Second, and it's related, when things don't go as planned, we learn that God is everywhere, even in the difficult parts of life see, back in the Bible, people thought that there was a God for every nation. So the Israelites just assumed God was their God, but the Babylonians had another God. What they discover in the exile is that God is in Babylon too, and that he's bigger than they thought, and he can meet them, even in Babylon, because he's the God of the whole universe. Now, we say that we know that God is the God of the whole universe, but there are still ways, places we assume that God is not, at least I do, and that is in the hard places, I assume, well, God's not at work there because it's in a hard place, right? But what we discover is that when things don't go as planned is that God is everywhere, even in the difficult circumstances, and that he can bless us even there. I don't know about you, but when I'm in a hard time, I sometimes think, well, if God would just move me to a different circumstance, then things will be good. But it's in the hard times we discover, no, God can bless you even in the hard place. The author Dallas Willard says what I think is kind of a convicting thing. He said, God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. To me, that's a profound statement. If we faithlessly discard situation after situation as not being right, we will have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. When things don't go as planned, we discover that God is everywhere and can bless us in any circumstance, in any place that we find ourselves in. And that makes us stronger, and it empowers us to rise above our circumstances. Which brings me to my last point. When things don't go as planned, God uses that to refine our character, which is what he does for Israel. Now, as I said a couple of weeks ago, I know that can sound like kind of a consolation prize. Great. I've got cool character. Awesome. Rather have a million dollars. Right? Rather have an easy life. Right? Consolation prize. But it's not. During the period of the exile in the Bible, there are two main figures. One is King Nebuchadnezzar of, the, of Babylon, king of the most powerful empire in the world, has all the money and prestige you could ever want. The other is Daniel, who has tons of integrity, thrown into the lion's den for praying, but God delivers him. Daniel has courage. Nebuchadnezzar is afraid of his own shadow, always worried about losing his power. Daniel has integrity. Nebuchadnezzar changes his beliefs, constantly vacillating. You never see Daniel anything but joyful. Nebuchadnezzar is always either angry or fearful and at one point goes crazy and eats grass like a cow for three years. So who would you rather be? Daniel or the grass eater? Daniel, right? I mean, nobody names their kid Nebuchadnezzar these days. But we'll name him Daniel because he's worth emulating. Why? Because God refined his character. So here's the question. If we'd rather be Daniel, then why do we spend all of our time and energy trying to be Nebuchadnezzar and get the power, wealth, and comfort that he had? Daniel had joy that can never be diminished, peace that can't be disturbed, hope that never disappoints, and courage that will not fail because God refined him. And folks, that is no consolation prize. That's the gold medal. Pastor John Ortberg tells a story about a man in his church named Hank who was the meanest man alive, according to John. At one point, Hank called OSHA, that's the government agency that looks into health and safety concerns, called OSHA to complain that the music at his church was too loud. So OSHA sent a federal agent to check it out. The pastor just laughed. The OSHA guy said, you think you feel silly? All week they've been making fun of me at the office that I had to go bust a church. (laughs) Hank was a mean man, and he wasn't changing. But John says more troubling than that was nobody was surprised that he didn't change. No consultants were called in to figure out the problem. Nobody called an emergency meeting of the elders to talk about the strange and unusual case of a man who'd been part of a church for years but hadn't changed. They expected Hank to know certain things, affirm certain theologies, but not change. Jesus, who is God in the flesh, loves us way more than that. He wants us to change. He wants us to be transformed. He loves us so much. He wants us to become everything he created us to be. And so because he loves us, he refines us. And one of the ways he does that is when things don't go the way we planned. He uses it. And our job is to cooperate with him in a couple of ways. Let me mention them real quick. First, when things don't go as planned, pray the prayer I've recommended many times. Lord, what are you trying to show me here? Because when you see how God is using tough times, you can endure them because you see the good He's bringing out of them. Second, be a good steward of your pain. Don't waste pain; is a terrible thing to waste. Don't waste it. It can make you bitter, or it can make you better. Be a good steward of your pain by asking God to use it to refine you. And third, expect God's blessing. The circumstance you're in may not be a blessing, but some way, somehow, someday, God is going to bring a blessing out of it. Look for it. Pray for it. Expect it. A friend of mine who's a pastor this week told me a story about a man in his church he calls Tom. Tom was a father, a husband, very successful banker, had a lot of money, took his family to church, but wasn't too into the whole Jesus thing, just kind of went. Tom also had a secret drinking problem, which he was able to hide from everyone, including his family. Until one day after work, he went to a friend's house to have a few drinks. Three hours later, he got in his car and he headed home. The next memory Tom had was of waking up the next day by himself in his bed with his head pounding. So he called out to his wife and she said, meet me in the garage, where she told him that on his way home the night before, he blacked out driven over a mailbox and into a ditch, blew out all four tires in the car and shattered all the windows. Miraculously, nobody was hurt. Somehow, he was able to drive home with no tires where he put the car in the garage hoping that his wife wouldn't notice. (laughs) Not so much, right? Wives are way more observant than that. Well, when she told him all this, he just broke down in tears and started sobbing in front of her and in front of their son. He felt embarrassed, afraid, just filled with shame but it was a tipping point. That afternoon he called AA and said, I'm looking for a meeting, I might be an alcoholic. And the woman said, well, we happen to have meetings for might be alcoholics. (laughs) So he went to an AA meeting that day, dressed in a long coat, sunglasses, hoping nobody would recognize him. It was humiliating, not what he had planned for his life. He went to 120 meetings in 90 days, and he saw the power of Jesus transform a lot of lives, and one of the lives that got transformed was his. And today, his life demonstrates Jesus' power over and over. He is no longer drinking. Now he helps other people recover. While back, he was in a business meeting, got a random phone call from someone he didn't know, a guy who'd fallen off the wagon. Tom left his meeting, drove an hour out of town, and when he got there, he saw this man who looked just like death warmed over because this guy had been drinking wine coolers nonstop for a week. Tom comforted him for a while and then asked, Do you ever pray? And the man said, Well, sort of, and then Tom said, well, what do you pray? And the man said, I just pray, God, please help me. And Tom said, well, here he is. He's helping you. And the guy said, no, not you. I need a miracle. (laughs) And Tom said, well, you prayed for help, and here I am an hour from home, total stranger. What else do you want? I'm sitting here, one drunk who's sober, with a drunk who wants to get sober, and I know the pain, I know the fear, I know the depression, but I'm also here with you, and so is Jesus, and I know what Jesus can do. And Tom continues to walk with this man and scores of others, because that's now his mission in life, to go to dark places that he was once in, and by the strength of Jesus, lead people out. Every week, he leads a recovery group at the Salvation Army. He says it's like a football game. In fact, he said to my friend one time, it's like a football game, and if you want to come, suit up and join me, but but make sure your chin strap is buckled, because you're going to see real life, but you're also going to see Jesus. Things did not go according to Tom's plans. Mostly because he made some big mistakes. Now, that's not always the case. Maybe the hard situation you're facing is nobody's fault. Least of all, your fault. But what Tom discovered is true whenever things don't go according to our plans. For whatever reason, he saw Jesus' power in amazing ways in the dark place. He saw that Jesus could bless him even in the dark place. And that Jesus was refining his character so that now he's not only alcohol free, he is leading others to freedom. That's what Jesus can do. That's what Jesus can do when he refines us. Back in the Bible, when the silversmith would heat up the metal to purify it, the the way he knew he was done, the way he knew the metal was finally purified was when he could see his face reflected back in the silver. And that's what God does with us. That is God's goal with us. He loves us enough to refine us until he sees his character, his face, reflected in our lives so that we become people who walk in his power, speak with his authority, live in his integrity, shine in his victory, infect others with his joy, and make a difference in his world. So here's the question. Do you trust that the God who is big enough to plan the whole universe is big enough to plan your life? And do you trust that no matter what happens, he loves you and he has a plan for you and it is a good plan to bring you a future and to bring you a hope, even if it's not the plan you had for yourself? In fact, it might just be better. So Jesus, help us to trust that no matter what we face, you love us, you never leave us, and that even when things go The way that we don't plan, the way that we don't want, that you're there in it, and that you're using it, and you're going to bring a blessing out of it, and you're going to make us like you because of it, and that's the gold medal. Lord, help us to have faith in that, and we'll follow you in your name. Amen.